Let me share something uh, from Joe Smith. He talks about the first time he learned the game of horseshoes when he was young. He shares uh, his friend Brooke was playing with his father, and he said he watched them playing for a while, and he writes this. I didn't think it looked very hard. I asked, could I try? Brooke said, not yet. Let me finish playing with my dad. He's showing me how to hold the shoe, how to swing it. How to hold the shoe, who cares, I thought. As far as the swing, I was working all summer on my softball swing. So just turn a little bit, I should be all right. I didn't pay attention as Mr. Griffith patiently coached his son in the art of horseshoes. I knew it was an easy game. Finally, the waiting was over. They invited me to throw. Mr. Griffith started to give me instructions, but I brushed him off. I could do this, nothing to it, let me at it. I gripped, I swung, I threw. The horseshoe went out three feet, fell with a doll thud closer to the post where I was standing than the target. Both of them laughed, and Brooks said, this one doesn't count, try again. I could see I needed some more oomph, so I swung it harder this time. It arched high in the air, curved to the right, landed not far from where Mr. Griffith was standing. He jumped back and said, easy, you hooked it, try again. That one doesn't count either. I was beginning to get the message here. The first message was, this was not so easy. The second message was, there's really no consequence. Nothing seemed to count. No matter how wild my pitch, they were not keeping score. So what could I lose? That pitch didn't count. Neither did that one. So I went ahead full steam. One more time, I figured out the stuff about power and arc and curve. This would be a great one. The dead ringer. This would be the pitch to end all pitches. And it was. This time, when I let go of that shoe, the next sound I heard was the sickening shattering of glass. Mrs. Griffith's kitchen window shattered. The screams of Brooke's mother and sisters inside the house could be heard, I was sure, all the way across the street to my house and very likely to every house on the block. And guess what? This time no one said that doesn't count. And no one said go ahead, try it one more time. This time they said, first, if you cannot take instructions, you cannot play the game. And second, this one counts. It's going to cost you the price of a new window. You know, we're going to look at some things today to just uh, encourage who we are in Christ, wherever you find yourself in your walk of faith, and just to stop and be uh, inspired to step away from some of the stress in the culture and everything that everybody's facing and just move into a time of just resting in who we are in Christ and the promises that he says about who we are in him. I got to hear Rosie Greer a number of years back going closer to the 2007-2008 economic meltdown we had. Rosie Greer played for the New York Jets, the LA Rams. He was more known though because he was a friend of Robert Kennedy. He shared, you know, Robert Kennedy changed his life teaching him about, you know, working for other people and doing something to serve the greater good. He was a mentor and a friend, and Rosie was there when Robert Kennedy was assassinated. Rosie Greer actually helped tackle the shooter, took the gun from him, and put it in his pockets. He said something, though, at that time when uh, Robert Kennedy, you know, he did not survive, and Rosie Greer said, you know, we all live in this house, and now there's problems in this house, and there's pain in this house. He talked about going from that friendship that he lost and losing his mentor, deciding what he was going to do with his life. What he decided to do was to, to reach out to kids in trouble, to reach out to kids that were trapped in gangs, and that's what he's done really ever since. 
And when I got to listen to him, you know, he went on and talked about that metaphor that he said, we're all in this house and there's pain in this house. But he went on to say, you know, going into the challenges we had just a few years back, he said, you know, here's the thing, though, there is hope in this house. And the things we see now, you know what, again, there is pain in this house, this nation, there's trouble, there's challenges, but there is hope in this house. D.L. Moody talked about that hope. He put it like this. I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition, everything contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we're full of pride and conceit and ambition, there's no room for the Spirit. We must be emptied before we can be filled. So today, let's maybe think of some things you know, that have to be emptied. So that we can be filled by Christ. Maybe some things need to change in our life. You know, it's estimated about 45% of our daily activity is basically automatic, cued by triggers. There's a fascinating study that was done about triggers on a college campus. They were noticing these students were spending too much time watching TV. And so they thought, what if we change their environment? How much impact? So what they did is they took half the students, put them in one dorm, half in another dorm, and in one dorm, they arranged the furniture the same as their old dorm, TV and everything, exact same place. The others, though, they rearranged the furniture, put the TV in a different place, the furniture in different places, and what they found is where there was no change in the way the room was arranged, those students went right back to watching the same amount of TV. But when the layout in the new dorm was changed, what they found is that different location, simply arranging things differently. It changed those students' habits, and they had much more success in the school. And why? It's because they were able to change those things that might trigger them. And maybe it's a simple change in environment that's needed. Maybe it's something a little bit more radical. But I'll give you an example. When I counsel couples that are fighting, you know, one thing to look at is if you fight all the time, maybe it's in the kitchen. Change that environment. You know, discuss hard topics in another room, you'll find that the tension comes down. We get triggered by certain places, certain things. And you know, if we change some of those things, suddenly we're able to make some bigger changes in our life on whole. You know, here's something that I I love this verse in Matthew 23. I've got to watch this actually play out in, in real life. But Matthew 23, 37, Jesus says, Jerusalem, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. You know, where I have my office, I get there at 5 a.m., it's still dark, and there's a a killdeer mother, and she sits in the parking lot because it's still warm on the cement. And so when I pull in, I have to be careful, but when the lights hit her, she'll stand up, and underneath her are chicks. She'll go to the side of the parking lot, and they will rush over, and then she'll sit right back down. It's really just amazing to watch that. And Jesus was using the same analogy, something that we can all identify with. He was saying, listen, I long to gather you together like a hen gathers her chicks. You know, David talked about this in the Psalms. He said several times, I take my refuge in the shadow of your wings. That picture there is underneath those wings. There's protection. There's warmth. There's love. There's care. Jesus says that's who he is in our life. Something John Piper said, I really appreciate this, that he talked about, you know, 
mentoring couples getting married and he would say to them, you know, do you believe in Jesus as your savior? And he'd often get a response like, you know, sure, you know, I, I want to go to heaven, you know, but that wasn't the answer he was looking for. So he changed what he says to people. And now he says to them, do you take Jesus as your treasure? You know, because we dream about a treasure, we hold it in a special place, we protect it, we think about it. And so when somebody just says, sure, I want Jesus because I just want the, the benefits uh, of heaven and my sins, you know, to, to not have to take those. What we need to say, though, what Jesus calls us is to love him above all things and to stop and say, you know, do I take him as my treasure? He is the one who says, take refuge in the shadow of his wings like a, a hen protects her young. He offers that to you and me, especially in this challenging time. We might need to, to look at some of the things that trigger us. You know, maybe stop watching some of the things that we watch or listening to some of the voices we listen to and empty some things out so they can be filled by Christ, that one who is always watching over us. You know, Joe Smith, he finished that story. He said, I picked up the shards of broken glass, thinking about how much a window might cost, how many weeks of my allowance would be spent repairing the damage. I saw Brooke and Mr. Griffith in a whispered huddle off to the side. They exchanged some sort of confidence I was not privy to hear. I was so embarrassed, I just wanted to melt down and disappear. However, they came toward me, and Mr. Griffith said quietly, Don't worry about it, Joe. Just pick up the pieces. Go on home. Brooke says he wants you to be around to play with all summer, and so he's going to pay for that window. Just clean it up and go home. And Joe closes with this. He says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Jesus paid it all. Be reconciled. Come on home. You know, these are unique times to say the least, but we are still encouraged moment to moment because Christ, he doesn't change. And no matter what the circumstances are, he is right there in our life. Something you might think about, during this time, you know, there's so many things that uh, are on the news, but you won't probably hear this anywhere. But every day, 70,000 people commit their lives to Christ. You and I can celebrate that moment to moment. This day, 70,000 people are going to commit their lives to Christ. Some of you may have heard me talk about this before, but what is the most popular movie and what is the most watched movie ever? On the popular movie list... You know, at the top of the list, number four is Star Wars. Next is Titanic. Number two, Avatar. Most popular movie of all time is Gone with the Wind. But the most watched movie, and none of these even come close, the most watched movie is the Jesus film. Translated into 600 languages, over three and a half billion people have seen that film. And why is that? Because what Jesus said, John 12, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Here's something else to think about in this time to be encouraged about. Matthew 16, he said, I'll build my church. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. Well, what does that look like down through history? This is your history, my history, your ancestors, my ancestors. Where did that gospel go with those disciples who were promised hell is not going to stop the spread of this message? In the first century, that gospel went to Egypt, Sudan, Armenia, France, Italy, Germany, Britain, Iraq, Iran, India, Greece, Yugoslavia, 
Bosnia, Croatia, Asia Minor, onto Albania, Algeria, Libya, and Tunisia. In the second century, the gospel reached Morocco, Bulgaria, Portugal, Austria, North Africa. In the third century, Switzerland, Sahara, Belgium, Edessa, Qatar, Bayron, Hungary, Luxembourg. The fourth century, Afghanistan, Ethiopia. In the fifth century, there's West Africa, the Isle of Man, San Marino, Liechtenstein, the Caucasus, Ireland, Central Asia. The gospel that the gates of hell would not stop in the sixth century reached North Yemen, Ceylon, Malabar, Nubia, the Channel Islands, Andorra. In the seventh century to China, the Netherlands, Indonesia, Mongolia. The eighth century reaching Iceland, Pakistan, East Germany. Then to Tibet, Burma, Denmark, Czechoslovakia, Sweden, Norway. In the tenth century, Hungary, Russia, Greenland, Bohemia to Poland. You see, that's the one that we are committed to, whose promises are being fulfilled. Nothing stopped from that promise, even in the challenges we face today. And here's what is the amazing part. We each get to play a role in that same promise, that same church, that same body. You know, whether you're a mother, a father, you're married, you're single, whatever age you are, whether you have children or not, each of us are called to step forward and say, I serve the one who said the gates of hell will not stop the gospel. I serve the one who calls me to take refuge in the shadow of his wings. I serve the one who took my trespasses away and invites me to come home. You know, Jack Canfield said it well. He's the writer of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, but he's also a speaker, and he shared this. You're not able to have a dream without being given the capacity to make it come true. You're not able to have a dream without being given the capacity to make it come true. Whatever's in your heart at this time, that is true now. That's true always. That dream is there for you to reach out and grab hold of it and live that dream in a way that honors Christ. The one again who says, as a hen gathers her chicks, I so long to gather you. You know, Charles Spurgeon would talk about, you know, for, for parents, he said, you are as much serving God and looking after your own children and training them, training them in God's holiness and making your household a church for God as you would be if you were called to lead an army to battle for the Lord of hosts. Another one for parents from Andy Stanley. He said, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God might not be something you do, but someone you raise. So a lot of people are, are challenged in this time, you know, with the, the idea of, you know, the isolation and the uncertainty. Let me share a story about a man who went through a, a real time of that same isolation, uncertainty, but, but a whole different level. And listen to, again, how this story plays out because his life has impacted millions of people. That man is Truett Cathy, and he served in the Army in 1945, and he had a dream, though, he and his brother, to open a restaurant. And when he got out of the Army, that dream came true. They opened their own restaurant in Georgia. It was very successful. The challenge and the tragedy, though, three years later was his brother died in a plane crash, and Truett was devastated. It took him a long time to get back on his feet, even think about moving forward a year passed, and, and you know, he thought about honoring his brother, honoring his family, honoring this dream. Opened a second restaurant, and it also did fairly well. 
but it caught fire and the insurance said they weren't going to cover the cost. Short time after that, just weeks, he found out he'd have to have surgery. He was diagnosed with cancer and what happened is he went into this uh, radical surgery that left him just basically bedridden for several months. So people might look at that and say, you know what, uh, the, the pain of losing his brother, the fire in the restaurant, and now cancer. But Truett looks at life through faith. You know, he passed away just a short time ago, but his faith drove his life. And as he was bedridden, he started to, to journal and say, you know what, how can I use this? You see, isolation does not have to stop us. Challenges in life don't have to stop us. Because faith says we serve Christ who promises nothing's going to stand in the way of what he's going to accomplish in history, in the world, your life, in my life. And so Truett Cathy, he sat in bed, he was journaling, and he was making up recipes, and he came across one that he was working on, and he knew that that recipe was the key. And what he had written down was the idea of the perfect chicken sandwich. He started a restaurant, and he based it on his own principles about his faith in Christ, closing that restaurant on Sunday, the biggest day for restaurants. And people looked at that and said, how are you going to succeed? He said, I want people to be able to worship on Sunday. That restaurant, of course, is Chick-fil-A. How much of an impact does Chick-fil-A have? It is the most profitable fast food chain in the United States. Born out of a dream for somebody finding themselves in isolation. But faith and seeing things through the eyes of faith moved him to say, let me see things from the standpoint of the victorious one, the overcomer who promised, you know, when he rose, we rose. When he conquered death, it was we conquering death in him. When he defeated sin, it meant that our sin was washed away. How we live day to day, moment to moment, even in this time. We want to be people that say, I want to honor Christ. Isolation, the challenges, the uncertainty, the voices. Again today, in spite of that, 70,000 people are going to commit their lives to Christ. And that gospel we looked at spreading nation to nation, now it's everywhere in the world. Because as he is lifted up in your life and in my life, he does the work. He draws all men unto himself. And he looks at our life and he says that sin, that broken window, he paid the price so that we can be free. You know, it's amazing what grace can do when we give to one another in ways that make such a difference by different standard, different love, different type of giving. Judy Rogers, she shared you know, about a time it was around the holidays, and it was her dad, and he wanted to get his wife, her mother, a special gift. He had been laid off for going on four years, and he wanted to do something special, and the one thing he hated the most was to have to do dishes, and he said he was going to get her a dishwasher. And Judy Rogers said, you don't understand, though, unless you know our house. It had the original wiring and plumbing. They couldn't handle the installation of a dishwasher. And she said, you know what? On top of that, we had this tiny kitchen. There was no place to put an appliance. 
And on top of that, we were behind on mortgage payments, so we could never pay for this. And he hated the thought of washing dishes so much, he said, I'd rather do anything else. But she said, here's what happened. My mom, she had to go do a major surgery. And that surgery left her with a lot of pain for several months as she was recovering. And she found it difficult to do much physical labor. And so she woke up one day and Judy said, there was no large box. There was no new plumbing, no new wiring. Nobody remodeled the kitchen. And I'll just read what she said next. Rather, there was a small note handwritten by dad. And it read, for one year, I will wash all the dirty dishes in this household, every one. And he did. He really did. You see, that's what happens when faith steps into our life. When everything seems to be you know, so chaotic, we step into the promise, take our refuge in the shadow of his wings. And we say, you know what? Things may be broken in this house, but there is always hope in God's house. And we take Jesus to be our treasure. And in him, we know that we will have victory in all things. Circumstances, they will not move us. Challenges, they will not stop us. Voices in the media and in the culture will not drive us to fear. But rather, we'll stand boldly in him and say, you know what? There are things that need to be emptied out of my life and filled with Christ. And I trust the process that he's going to take me through moment to moment because he has my best interest at heart because he promises that in him there is true life. And when he is lifted up, he draws all men unto himself. And so I'll take Jesus. We'll take Jesus. He is our treasure And in him, we know all hope in all things.